He's on the staff to carry Marty Brenneman's bags. Oh, and to do this podcast. Welcome to the Jim Day Podcast. All right, Joe Z, thank you very much. Welcome again to the Jim Day Podcast, everyone. We hope that you continue to help us out by spreading the word. Subscribe, review, and rate, please. Five-star rating would be tremendous. If you're just picking up the podcast, go back in the archives, check it out. There's some good stuff in there. Um, Last episode with Nick Sinzel was a very revealing episode. He opened up, and that's kind of um, some of the episodes have been like that. We've had some loose conversations. We've also had some serious conversations, so we hope you have enjoyed it. And check out those archives. Now, as promised, we are bringing back the Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman yet again on this podcast. We told you we're going to milk this thing in his final year behind the broadcast mic, 46th season, the Hall of Famer. And we're going to, we've kind of teased this through the weeks, but I sat him down and I wanted to play some of his great calls through the years and get his reaction to the players, the teams, and everything involved in the call and how he felt about each call. And in particular, how he felt about Joe maybe chiming in the background, being loud in the background. We'll cover all of this. And I'm not sure publicly he's revealed what his favorite call that he's made of all time is. In fact, he reveals his top three. Number one might surprise you. So finally, here he comes again. Back yet again on the Jim Day Podcast, it's Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. All right, I wanted to do something fun with you, and that's going through some old calls. Okay. Um, that you made through the years. Um, now, one thing that I've always wondered about is when did in this one belongs to the Reds come about? Did that come about organically? Is it something that you thought of? Oh, no. Because I want to play you this clip, and I believe this is probably from 1974, I'm guessing. And you are losing your mind at the end of the game, which is great. I think Perez hits a home run Oh, here. that's the thing that made me realize I'd arrived as a Reds broadcaster. Yeah. That was against the Giants. He had off Randy Moffitt in the first game of a doubleheader at Riverfront. And they won. A- they scored four time, five times in the bottom of the night. They were behind 13-9. And the great thing about the, before the home run was with two out um, – Bench hit a ground ball to first base. Dave Kingman was playing first base for the Giants. A routine ground ball, and he fielded it, and he came up ready to toss it to Randy Moffitt, which had been third out of the game, and Moffitt never left the mound. So it was an infield hit that gave Perez a chance to hit, and Tony hit a home run to straightaway center field and win the game. Well, it's just Lost we- my mind. It is weird to hear you at the I end know. of the game and not spit out, and this one belongs to I've the I've forgotten rest. to, but we'll talk oh, about really? it. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, well, here, here's to. the call. Quickly, two strikes out in front of Perez. Has the sign. The pitch. Oh, my golly, which I love, by the way. But you forgot to say that? Yeah, this one belongs to Red starting about two weeks into the first season. And uh, as best I can recollect, at least it's a story I tell, um, Davey Concepcion got a hit in the bottom of the ninth to win a game. 
or the bottom of the 10th inning, lasted bat. And it just came out. I, I'd never planned. I'd never – that was spontaneous. I think I got that call. I, it, it was purely spontaneous. And as I drove really, back – Really, that is – it's spontaneous. That just came out just and came stuck. Out, just came out. And when I drove back home that night, I thought, you know what? That might be a good way to end the game. And uh, that's, that's the way it happened. Well, full disclosure, these old tapes, I don't know the when they transferred them to whatever – you're sped up a little bit, oh, so I know. you yeah. sound a little like the well, guy. God Almighty, it's a million years ago. I know. Well, you, you sound a little bit like a, one of the Scooby-Doo characters. <laughs> and we would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> so, That's correct. <laughs> so you're sped up a little bit. It's not your actual voice, but I, I, tell me if this is the call you're talking about. For Pedro Borbon, and here's Mike Marshall's first pitch plate work. Swung on, a looper, left center field, a base hit. Here comes Cheney, the throw to the plate, and this one belongs to the Rams. It could have been. I think that was a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. So it just came about organically, and I, you can't imagine a game, the Reds winning it without that call. There were probably three dozen times in the years in which I've, I've, I've failed to use it uh, because of something that occurred that I never dreamed right. would happen, like the Perez home run. I never dreamed that would happen. Right. And then in recent years, God rest his soul, Ryan Friel made a catch at Great American Ballpark on Albert Pujols with, with the Reds leading by one and two outs in the ninth and two men on base. Uh, and, and, and Friel was shading him to pull toward left center, and, and Pujols hit the ball to right center, and Ryan ran forever and ever and ever and went up at the last minute and made the catch and crashed into the wall, and the game was over, and I forgot to say it. In the old days, if I forgot to say it, people would call WLW. Is he not going to say I it anymore? I listening at home. I'd be like, he, Is something wrong? he didn't say it. <laughs> I know. It. My favorite was when you would, it would be a big call. I know. And you would go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and you'd tell the story. And then you'd go, all of a sudden, like maybe 20, 30 oh, seconds. Oh, by the way. And this one belongs to the Reds. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd go back. And I was like, that was my favorite when you would just get it in there. <laughs> and I think there's a call coming up where you'll hear uh, a similar. But um 1976. Okay. Reds had won it in 75, obviously. And sweeping the Yankees. Um, Johnny Bench didn't have a good regular season in 76, but boy, did he come on. In the World in Series. In the World yeah. Series. And had a two-home run game, and here be that night. Swung on and hit a deep left field. That might be his second of the game. It's gone, a home run. Johnny Bench with his second home run of the night. The ball bouncing out of the stands in left field. Roy White trying to decoy him. But the left field umpire, Lou DeMiro, was out there signaling home run. And Johnny Bench has been the man of the hour for the Cincinnati Reds tonight as he homers for the second time. And the Reds now lead by four runs at 6-2. to two. Watching a player of Bench's caliber, and you watched him for... What, he came up in 67, I guess, yeah. for a cup of coffee at the end of the season. But, you know, primarily throughout his career, um, watching his greatness yes. behind the plate, it, it had to be something special. Well, you know, it, what was interesting about that series is that, um, you know, it was over in the bat of an eye. The Red beat them four straight, and it would clearly outclass the Yankees. But the Yankees had a great catcher there themselves in Thurman Munson. Mm -hmm. And at some point – uh, I don't know what it was after game two. I think it was. Um, the subject came up of Benson, uh, of Bench and Munson. Right. And Sparky made the comment that 
to say Thurman Munson's name in the same breath with Johnny Bench was a sacrilege. And Billy Martin, Martin lost his mind. New York lost its mind. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, and 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 I don't I don't think that knowing knowing Sparky as I did, and I knew him as well as anybody. I I don't think he ever meant to um, minimize the abilities that Thurman Munson had. But at the same time, I understood him. You don't talk about any other catcher in the game in the same breath with Bench. That's ridiculous. Right. And, and Billy, I think Billy used it more as a means of trying to get his club revved up because they were down two games to none mm-hmm. going to Yankee Stadium, and it didn't work. Um, he, he was just – it was incredible. I, um, I, I've, I've said a million times, and people always call me on it, and I say, let's go back and let's, maybe, let's revisit what I said. And I would say when I gave speeches, and I say it today, at a given position, he was the greatest player in the history of the game. And people would say, he's not the greatest player in the history of the game. I said, that's not what at I said. At a given position, much bigger difference. And he was. He revolutionized the way the position was played. Mm-hmm. Just like David Concepcion, and he should be in the damn Hall of Fame, and he's not. Revolutionized the way the position of shortstop was played. Yep. And, and, and Bench did that. Uh, the one-handed tag, uh, everything he did. One hand, just catching with one hand, tucking exactly. his hand because he got, he kept getting his offhand hit. It was ridiculous. He, his arm throwing to second base yeah. was Well, he was single-handedly crazy. took the pirate running game out of their out of their approach in the '75 League Championship Series. Their idea was to run, and they had a bunch of guys that could steal. He threw two guys out in the first inning. And it was over with. Yeah. I mean, they never attempted to run on him again. Well, those two, that two-home run game, they had uh, Sparky mic'd up during that game. And yeah. it was one of my favorite natural sound moments ever when he hits that home run. We're going to be world champions again, Sugar Bear. That was George Scherzer. Uh, oh, that just was George Scherzer. Love, Bear was love that clip. Love that clip. It was great. This is the Scooby-Doo guy, I think. This is the final out of the 76 World Series. Scooby again. So the Cincinnati Reds are out away from sweeping the 1976 World Series. Two outs. Here's a 2-0 pitch to Roy White. Swung on. High fly ball to left center field. That should do it. Foster has it. And the 1976 World Championship belongs to the Reds. The Reds have swept Billy Martin's Yankees decisively by a 7-2 score in the final game as the Reds become the first National League team since the 1921-1922 Giants to win back-to-back World Series. And your voice a little sped up there. Can I so tell it's a you something? Can I be honest with you about yeah. something? Yeah. That was a recreation. That was right there? Hold up. Best of my knowledge, I did. We did a highlight record album ah. at the end of the season. I don't even think I was on the air in the ninth inning. I worked on, on CBS radio with Wynn Elliott and Brett Musburger. You know, that's right, because they had the local broadcasters do the game. That was the last year that they used them. Yeah. And you and did I that in 75 with, as well, did yes. you not? No, no, I didn't do didn't, any radio. Yes, I did. did. TV yeah, I did radio 70. in 75, and when the Reds were in uh, Boston, and did television in 76. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, I did radio and TV in 75, radio uh, on the road, uh, television at home, yeah. and the uh, only thing I did – in 76 was radio and that was with uh win elliott and uh brett musburger but i wasn't on the air we had to recreate you're those. right now that i think about that yeah wow what an embellishment however flawless on your recreation there 
Um, yeah, because I remember you doing games with Kurt Gowdy in 75, and I was ticked off because he'd seen, he would he called the last out. You know, he's a Boston guy. Yes. He called the, and I loved Kurt Gowdy as an I know. announcer. Uh, terrific. But he Wonderful was like, man, by the uh, way. Geronimo's got it, and the Reds are world <laughs> champions in 75. It killed him. It's it like, killed. you know, it just killed him to do I it. I know. And they always say, you know, they show the 75 clips, and it just ticks me off as a Reds fan that all they show is Carlton Fisk. And, you know, the Red Sox won that game three games to four. That's correct. That's won exactly that series. Right. They won That's the series correct. three games to four. That is correct. Um, so, anyways, I've always wanted to ask you, and I've, I've never really asked you, um, even off the air, asked you about Joe. You've asked me a lot of th- about things off the air. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. One day, if I'm unemployed, <laughs> we'll do the real podcast. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, Joe letting his emotions out during a call. It didn't bother me. Didn't bother you. I always wondered Never because did. a lot of announcers would get a case of the goo. I don't care. But then over the years, fans grew to love it. That you did. would be making the call. It would be a flawless call. And here is Joe in the background, and here is a perfect example. Pete's hit. Well, Pete's hit. We'll get to that. That was okay. next. All this right. is a Barry Larkin uh, clip in which okay. he is just – I mean, you can tell that he's rooting for the Cincinnati guy in this clip. I did drive. Get out of here. Get out of here, baseball. Get out of here. You know, if there was anything that was um, – I don't, I don't know how to explain it. If there was anything that was consistent with what he and I did as a team, it was the fact that the emotion that he generated on a call in which I had was so pure and so well-intentioned and so full of love. Oh, yeah. It was fine. It, it, it was. It was I, I never had people. I've had countless people come up to me and say, "You know, does it bother you?" I said, "No, it doesn't bother me. It bothered Joe." That it, was my it, next it question to him. you. That it. Why do you think it bothered him, and particularly forty-one ninety-two? Well, he because I think I record. I think that was the one that bothered me the most because uh, it was a it was a momentous occasion um, that probably would never be duplicated again. And I think Joe at times felt like he screwed the whole thing up. He never did. He didn't. On the contrary, it, for my money, it added to it. I didn't care about that. I could care less about it. I listened to it today, and I'm fine with it. I'm happy with it uh, because it was the essence of what he was all about. Um, I, I tell people about Johnny Bench's last game uh, at Riverfront, his last game, period. Against the Astros. Johnny Bench night when he hit the home run? He counted for the only run. Mike yeah. Madden was a pitcher for the Astros, and Bench hit a home run. It's the only run the Reds scored. And Joe cried. Yeah. I mean, that that's, was the essence of what he was all about. So for him to um, talk over me or, or, or scream over me on Larkin's Grand Slam or Bench's uh, or uh, Pete's record break, that didn't bother me. I mean, that, that was a part of what Joe was all about, and God bless him for it, and I loved him for it. 
Well, forty-one ninety-two. I mean, people that love you guys and people like me that's just a total nerd about it um, have memorized what you have said in I that know. call. And well, Joe, there it is. There it is. Get out! But the interesting thing is, when you hear it now, you don't hear my call. You hear Ken Wilson's call, who was doing television right. for the Reds at that time. And I've had people say, doesn't that bother you that when they replay it because of Joe talking over you and screaming uh, that they don't use I said, I don't give a damn about that. doesn't bother me. I could care less. Well, I'm not going to use that version. I use your version, and here it well, is. Well, God bless you for that. <laughs> he levels about a couple of times. Shao kicks, and he fires. Rose Wayne. There it is. Lost. There it is. Get out. Get out. Yeah. My favorite part of that call as a broadcaster, you have a, a unique way of maybe it's one phrase or one word because everyone wonders, okay, how's he going to break the record? Is it going to be some cheap hit? Is it yeah. going to be a blue hit? You said a line drive, a clean base hit. That's all you had to say was it was a clean base, like legitimate base hit to break the record. And well, you had a unique way of just little phrases or a word. The interesting thing about that whole situation was that the only time that he and I ever wanted to have a call, I wanted to have the Bet Rose call he wanted. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask you about that. Because, they play. Yeah. They play Sunday afternoon in Chicago against the Cubs. The weather's shitty. Um, weather's what? Shitty. <laughs> there was a question of whether or not the game was even going to be played. And it was. And uh, he got a hit early in the game that I had that tied the record. So now Joe's got him an at-bat in the seventh inning. And he has a, hits a rocket into the hole at shortstop. And Sean Dunson was playing shortstop for the Cubs and had one of the great arms in the history of baseball. And he went into the hole, field of the ball, threw – and got Pete by a half a step. That would have been the record-breaking hit. He would have had it. And then, of course, they came back, and they played San Diego. Monday night, he went hitless. Mm -hmm. And then Tuesday night, he had the hit the first time up to break the record off Eric Schau. It was a big story back then, wondering when's it going to happen and what inning is it going to happen. Correct. If it happens in three and four or seven, Joe's calling it. Any other inning, it's Marty. That's correct. When was it going to fall? Um, and I, it's interesting for you to say that's the only time that you guys have wanted a certain call. He wanted it. I wanted it. Um, you know, and, and it turned out that, that I had the call and, uh, and, uh, things worked out the way they did. But in terms of his yelling and screaming over, uh, the record breaking hit, that didn't bother me a bit. And I've had people constantly say to me, you know, doesn't it bother you a little bit? I said, no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, he and I were. Uh, we had such a relationship, and, uh, and, and, and I knew how he was, and I knew, you know, being born and raised in that organization and having been born and raised in Cincinnati, the deep-seated feelings that he had, I would never have had those feelings. I mean, as much as I wanted that club to win, um, I, I couldn't r relate to 
uh, being born and raised in the greater Cincinnati area and, and spending the majority of his career and as loved as he was in that town. So I, that never bothered me a bit. Well, as fate would have it, it turned out perfect for Reds fans because you got to make the call. Joe is rooting in the background, which was kind of the essence of Marty and yeah, Joe. That's Your call was flawless. So the baseball gods were looking down because as it turned out, it turned out. Perfectly. Yeah, it did. It perfectly. sure did. Tom Seaver becomes a Red. <laughs> Brings a smile to your face. Another one of your favorite guys, correct? Without any question. And I, I, uh, you know, a, a number not that too many years ago, maybe six years ago, Amanda and I had dinner with he and his and uh, his wife um, and and a couple of friends of ours who put us in touch with Tom up in the wine country. You know, he realized his dream of, mm-hmm. of buying acres in Northern California, and, and he has a very, very expensive and very, very good red wine that he produces year in and year out. Uh, I, I love the guy. He came over from the Mets in a very controversial trade. Um, uh, he was embraced by the team. He asked for no special favors. Uh, he just went out and did what he did. And that was pitched as well as anybody who ever stepped on a mound. And, and I always felt that um, it would be a shame for him to one day go into the Hall of Fame and never pitch a no-hitter. And he had had five one-hitters, three of which had been broken up in the ninth inning, um, two of which were broken up by a guy who later scouted for the Reds for years, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Stewart, who was an extra infielder, and twice he got base hits off Tom to break up no-hitters right. in the ninth against the Cubs. So this was the situation uh, whenever it was, 78 or 79, uh, when he pitched against the Cardinals that day at Riverfront. Speaking of which. Seaver with a pause, the check and the pitch. He bounces to first base. Friesen has it. He goes to the bag and Seaver's got it. Bob Seaver has pitched his first major league no-hitter. And this one belongs to the Reds. Seaver is being mobbed at first base as George is a routine two-hopper to Danny Dreesen and the 38,216 at Riverfront Stadium are standing. And that's one of my favorite ones because you say the no-hitter first and then you say this one belongs to the Reds. Yeah. It wasn't final out. That's right. This one belongs to the Reds, no-hitter. And you know, the guy who caught that game that day was Donnie Warner. It was not Johnny Bench. Donnie Warner caught the no-hitter, which, which in and of itself, a lot of people were surprised. Uh, and and, and that's the only no-hitter that Tom pitched uh, before his great career ended, and he ultimately went into the Hall of Fame. And uh, it was kind of nice having pitched it, uh, one in a red uniform and two in Cincinnati. You had mentioned on a previous edition of this podcast that, uh, you know, your favorite managers, you had mentioned Sparky, um, and then you mentioned Lou Pinella, Pete, yeah. Pete and Lou. Yeah. And little did you know that one night <laughs> this would happen with Lou Pinella. Larkin grounds it to the left side. Ramos goes to Sandberg. The throw on to first. They got him. The double play ends the inning. Larkin doesn't agree with the call, nor does Tony Perez, nor does Lou Pinella, who runs right out there to get in the face of Dutch Renner. He slams his hat down, and Renner has thrown him out. Lou is now going to the first base bag, picks it up, and throws it out towards short right field. And he... Going to pick it up again and throw it further out in right field. I'll tell you what, this is the best act we've seen this year. 
He threw his hat down. He was run by Renner. He went to the first base bag. He picked it up. He threw it toward right field. He went back and got it and threw it out in right field again. And he has been thrown out. The inning is over. And boy, what a big-time show Lou Pinella has just put on here at the stadium. Yeah, that's that was the essence of of, of of Lou, and that's why I loved him so much. He he wore his emotions on his sleeve, and, and I think that as much as anything um, endeared him to the guys who played for him because they knew that he had their backs all the time. And if there was anything that went on that you as a player got involved with with an umpire, he was going to be right out there with you. And they loved him for that. And I, that's, I mean, I spent, I don't know, three years with him, and they were as enjoyable as three years I've ever spent with any manager. Well, I remember talking to uh, <clears throat> players, and a story they tell is it, the dugout at Riverfront Stadium was wood. Uh, that was one of the all-time great nights. <laughs> he, he, he threw his hat down. It had been raining. It had been raining, so yes. it was wet in there. And yes, the wood got really slick, particularly yes. when you had spikes on or baseball shoes or whatever. And he, he threw his hat down, and then he went to kick it and slipped and went. Feet went right out from under him, <laughs> and he landed right on his rear end. And there was a <laughs> dead silence. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. And he turned after getting up, and he looked down, and I can't tell you what he said, but he said, USOBs, if you want to laugh, you go ahead. That was funny. That was funny, and he said, I'm fine. And then the dugout erupted. It was a scream. They were scared to death to laugh at it. I mean, but he, he knew, like, hey, that was funny. You better laugh. Absolutely. He said, I know that was funny. That's exactly right. It was great. And that is, uh, you know, you love the Big Red Machine, but you told us on earlier editions of the podcast that it, uh, 1990 was your favorite team. Favorite team. And yeah. the final out, I mean, I you know, yeah. Benzinger backing and calling, and, you know, people memorize your calls, and uh, here indeed it is. The pitch is hit in the air, foul, off first, Benzinger backing and calling, and the 1990 World Championship belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds have done the absolute improbable by defeating the club considered to be the best in Major League Baseball, and they've done it in a four-game series sweep. Yeah. I mean, right there in a short clip, you encapsulate, you know, later years, you know exactly what happened. Yeah. Telling the story in a very short clip, spontaneously when it actually happened. Well, so. I'm, you know, it, it's uh, it, it was so unexpected, and and you know, you go back to the first game, and and uh, Eric hits a home run off Dave Stewart in the first inning to straightaway center, which energized the club, and then and then uh, and Joe Oliver had the base hit off Eckersley that just eluded Carney Lansford at third base, scoring. Uh, Billy Bates in in extra innings of the game too. The night we made the plea on the air for Tom Browning and right, um, and then they go to Oakland in game three. Mike Moore pitches for the A's and Chris Sabo hits two home runs off of him. And then game four to clinch it and Rio retires twenty of the last twenty one batters he faces and he won that game two to one. I mean it was amazing. Game two, Joe Oliver in extra innings. Joe had that call and used and this one belongs to the Reds. That's it. But he opened the door for me. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did I say it or did he no, say it? No, he said it. That's right. That, and there were a handful of games 
in the 31 years that he and I worked together when he would say it. Yeah. But uh, and he did say it that night. And, um, you know, he, Joe, Joe had certain moments and I was thrilled. He had that call. He had the bench home run, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny bench night. Um, and and uh, it was it was a great World Series, especially when you consider that they defeated the team managed by Mr. Baseball. I mean, you know, <laughs> that being Tony La Russa, your guy. Yes. So it was especially nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also, you know, Junior Ken Griffey Junior, unfortunately <clears throat> injured for many years uh, with the Reds. His best years were as a Seattle Mariner. Yes, but. He hit career home runs 500 and 600 in yes. a Reds uniform. Right. And 500, as fate would have it, came on Father's Day. Against the Cardinals, against Matt Morris in St. Louis. Yeah, and if it's not going to happen in Cincinnati, great fans no question. in St. Louis. And I thought, again, you encapsulated what happened that day with this right. call. The pitch. And a high drive. Hit back into deep right field. Junior has just knocked the door down to the 500 club. A high drive into the lower deck and right. Number 30 touches them all. And boy, what a Father's Day gift for Senior. The dugout empties as he rounds third, getting the glad hand from Mark Berry. Greeted at home plate by Adam Dunn. Now Jason LaRue, followed by Sean Casey. And each of them will get a piece of Ken Griffey Jr. before he gets back into the dugout, hitting his 500th home run to right field. Leading off this sixth inning, and last but not least, manager Dave Miley. And now Jr. running down toward the area where his mom and dad sit, and he is there with his father for a big Father's Day hug. What a scene this is here at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Looking for his youngsters, and Trey, as oldest, comes up. They're all down there, his wife, Melissa. What a scene. Junior dops his helmet to the crowd, and what an ovation they give him here in St. Louis. Great baseball fans in this town, and it was quite a sight. A typical junior home run, high and deep, and no doubt at all, the right field, the 20th member of the 500th home run club and the congratulations from extended family and close family and now a big kiss from wife melissa and the suspense and the waiting is finally over ken griffey jr number 20 in that elite 500 home run club that gives me chills right there the the fact that you you told us because people listening on radio can't see it exactly what he was doing yeah brought in the father the family and then in the middle of it said a typical junior home run high and deep and a no doubter right which kind of lets people know you know he did the pose probably he sure. swung did oh, the yeah. pose, yeah yeah um, and it happened on father's day when you listen to these calls um do you ever marvel at yourself? I you sit over there. I can see. I, you. I never I can, marvel. I know at myself. you can see. I can see you cringing me playing these clips. Well, I'm uncomfortable with that. I why is that? I just am. I I don't know why. I I don't know why. I mean, um, I think they're good calls. I think that call was good. I think the Seaver call was good. Uh, you know, all the rest of them are fine. 
I just, I'm not a big fan of listening to myself. Well, I, I, I'm with you there. I cringe when I watch yeah, myself I'm not, I'm or not listen a big fan of that. to myself. But no. is, do you have a favorite call or one that you thought that was the best? Is this an intro here? No, no. But, but my, my, I might have the call here. I've got my, a lot maybe of Maybe my favorite call of all is the home run Jay Bruce hit in 2010 oh, well. when, when he sent the club into the postseason. He hit it off of Tim Burdick, a left-hander with the Houston Astros in the bottom of the ninth at Great American Ballpark. Right. Now, why would that be? I just, I don't know. I, I felt it was clean. It was concise. It got right to the point. Um, and I, I just like the call. I, I, I don't know why. I like the, I like the Griffey 500. I like the Griffey 600. He's back with a 3-1. Griffey swings. There it goes. Long fly ball, right field. It is a Number 600 for Ken Griffey Jr. A no-doubter about halfway up in the lower deck and right. Ken Griffey Jr. circling the bases as they stand here at Dolphin Stadium. That's what they came to see here tonight. And from the moment it left the bat, absolutely no question where it was going to end up. So Ken Griffey Jr. ascends to a position that only five others have gone before him. Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Dave Ruth, Willie Mays, Sammy Sosa, and put Ken Griffey Jr. in that group right there of those who in the great history of this game of Major League Baseball have reached the 600 home run mark. And it was a typical Ken Griffey Jr. home run. It was no doubt it was going to be fair and it was going to be gone. And they are still standing here at Dolphin Stadium scattered though they might be applauding and cheering and wanting junior to come back out for a curtain call and there he is quite a moment the 600th home run of his career uh, they they might be my top three those three right and there, and all the rest of them were secondary yeah wow well here is jay bruce division yeah. winner so here's verdict and here's bruce and a high fly ball, center field. He hit it a ton. It's gone. And the 2010 Central Division Championship belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. Jay Bruce explodes the first pitch into the grass and straightaway center field. He is being mobbed by his teammates. They met him at home plate. They ran him up the first base foul line. They're approaching the mound. The bullpenners are coming out, and everybody's getting in on the celebration at the mound as the crowd roars here at Great American Ballpark. The first pitch, he rockets onto the lawn and straightaway center field, his 22nd home run of the season, and this one belongs to the Reds. That ain't a bad call. Now, let me tell you something. At this, you know, you texted me earlier today, and you said, come up with something else that you've never told anybody before. And I, I, like, no, I didn't say come up. I said, if you've got anything else yes, that you've never well, said before in public, lay it on me. This, this totally is related in a way, but in a way it's not. Okay. In 1969, I was broadcasting American Legion Baseball in Salisbury, North Carolina. And Legion Baseball... That area of the country is a hotbed for Legion baseball. They would play upwards of 55 games a summer. I mean, it was almost comparable to a rookie league in Billings, Montana. And they had an exceptional team. 
led by a young man named Randy Benson, whose dad, Vern, was a longtime scout for the St. Louis Cardinals at the big league level uh, forever. And I got to know the family, and uh, Randy was an exceptional baseball player. And they are playing Wilmington, North Carolina, in the seventh game of the league of the, of the state championship. It had been a home-and-home home series, Salisbury, Wilmington, back to Salisbury for game six and seven, tied at 3-3. Three, three. And a kid was pitching for Wilmington, a kid named David Sandlin, who had no-hitted the Salisbury team in game three. The game is tied in the bottom of the ninth, and Randy Benson's at the plate with two out, and he had a line drive home run over the left field wall to win it and win the state title that sent them to West Palm Beach, Florida for the regional tournament. And my line when the ball left the park is there's suntan lotion all over that baseball. That was in 1969. And the only reason I bring it up is because uh, sometime back the, um, they honored the coach of that team who celebrated his 100th birthday. And Randy brought that call. He said, uh, Marty Brennerman made this call when I hit the home run to clear the fence by about three inches that there was suntan lotion all over that ball because they were headed to West Palm Beach, Florida for the regionals. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of my favorite calls. I can see it in your eyes right now. That was one of my favorite calls of all time. But, you know, the home run that Bruce hit, one, it was one of the all-time nicest people I've ever been associated yeah. with in the game. And secondly, you know, hell, they go into the playoffs. That's well, that, it was nine straight losing seasons. That's right. And that, that year was magical. And it was getting down to the end of the year, and they're wondering, okay, they're going to win the division. Correct. Because they had lost some games. Um, and it was getting a little hairy there. It, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, So it was a good thing. I, no, I that was that a call. good night was, at the ballpark, man. That was a good night. Yeah, I was happy with that call. Now, So your top three are juniors, 500, 600 in that call? Yeah, that, that's number one. That's number one. Yeah, junior five hundred would be two, and and five six hundred would be three. And the only reason that's three is because they played. They hit that ball in Miami before a crowd of about, about thirteen people. You know, I, I've said before, and I'll say it again. He was the greatest player in the decade of the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all due respect to Barry Bonds, who was on, who was juicing and was cheating, and Griffey never did that. And, and I'll take it to my grave that he was the greatest player in the decade of the 90s because everything he accomplished, he did it clean. And, and as opposed to Bonds, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure the Giant fans will say, well, you're crazy, but no, I'm not because he did it the way it should be done. And, and for me, he's the greatest player in the decade of the 90s. Well, we would be remiss. I know we're running out of time here up against it, but we've talked so much about you and Joe, but you and Cowboy have certainly made a terrific team yeah. over the last several years. Uh, and a lot of humor comes across. You guys <laughs> have a great rapport, and he's a funny, funny guy. Uh, and that comes over the air uh, in instances like this. Here we go. How many languages do you speak fluently? <laughs> I speak English. <laughs> yes. I speak Southern. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I can order my food in Spanish. I hear you. He makes me laugh, boy. I'm not kidding you. Uh, he's one of the funniest people I've ever been around. And 
you know, I've said to people, they've heard me say this, I'm not a very religious person. I wish I was, but I'm not. Um, and I think when God decided to take Joe Nux all away from us, from me specifically, he gave me Tom Brenham and early, and he gave me Jeff Brantley for all time. And um, we've had a great relationship. I think people can tell that we genuinely, genuinely like each other. Uh, we like to be around each other. We have a tremendous affection for one another. And, and it all comes through on the radio. I mean, I, I, he's one of the funniest guys I've ever been around, and we have a great time. And you talk about anything, including cow tipping. I'm coming down to Jackson this winter, and besides playing golf a lot and freeloading off of you and Ash. We're going to Jackson. We're going to do a little bit of CTN. Cow tipping. You can book that. We got plenty of places to do it. I'm going to get a hot old Hollywood video crew to videotape it. Well, they won't have to go far. We can do it in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get the billy goats out of there first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's such good stuff. Uh -oh. I mean, and can I be honest with you about something? Yeah. You ought to see that palatial estate he lives in. <laughs> I bet. It ain't nothing to where there will be billy goats out in the front <laughs> no. yard because if there were, they had to get through the gated community <laughs> no that question. he lives in. No and I saw it up close and personal, yeah, so I, I know how it is. I've only seen pictures, but yeah, he's uh, he's done quite well for yes, himself. Yes, he has, Old boy's without done any question. Quite. Where did Titanic struggle come from? I don't know. You have, have no idea? I have. I, I just tell people it's from the warp, warped mind of a left-hander. It I just have, stuck. I have no idea where that came from. And the pause, tonight's... No, Titanic I, no, struggle. I, I no it idea. just it just organically came about. That's the way it is. I'm a little bit screwed up because I'm a left-hander. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some Marty-isms uh, that I have here recorded, and we'll just kind of let the <laughs> let me hear. Just like we like it. Damn right. Just oh, like you, we like it. You say that all the time. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, most of these I can't tell you. <laughs> don't stink this summer. Don't stink. Don't, what? don't stink this summer. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I think that was a promo or something. You got to have a little fun in life. You know, some people have senses of humor and some don't. That's correct. Now, this one, I even repeat this phrase, and I kick myself like, that's Marty's phrase. Stop using it. This game brings on the age-old question, how we're looking. Not good. That's correct. Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> you don't. I have no idea where this stuff comes from. It's just born out of a. <laughs> but you use it a lot. How I have no idea. I don't good. know where that stuff comes from. I have no clue. I can't even begin to tell you where that stuff that, came from. A little hum baby there now. <laughs> a little old hum baby. What's a hum baby? That's a fastball that's got a lot of juice on it. <laughs> it's a stupid laugh. That's a great laugh. No, it isn't. It's one that born out of tremendous love for my job. Let's get that one more time. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> you know, I might use that laugh to just drop in on future editions of this podcast. <laughs> and, of course, your famous line from Lou Pinella, which you still yes. use. In the inimitable words of Lou Pinella, I've seen enough. That's correct. That's what he used to say. That's what he would tell me after the game. I've oh, seen enough. I uh, had to go make a change. That is uh, that is fit. <laughs> now I have to. Look, I know we got to go here, but I got I got to play this one last All clip. Right. This is, and this is a good way to just wrap this bad boy up because. Um, that ain't it. No, as I roll through this, because I have some other clips here, but we. This is you and Joe. You had a run-in with Cubs fans later in later years, uh, but you have since sort of made up. No, but, they were fine now. Yeah. 
But there was a time when Marty and Joe was asked to sing, Take Me Out to the That's Ball That's correct. Marty Brenneman and Joe Luxall. That was it. That's tremendous. That's what it was all about, <laughs> being the old left-hander. That is great. And a great way to end it. I Thank appreciate you. you doing this again. I love doing it. You allow me to walk down memory lane with a lot of stuff I'd forgotten about. It was truly enjoyable. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, maybe later on in the season, you'll grace us again, and we'll just sit down. I'd be more than happy and to. And start I'm, talking, because I think people enjoy it. I got this. a whole lot more crap now. <laughs> there you go. Not necessarily <laughs> enjoying me, but enjoying just getting stuff out of you. So it's if you'll grace stuff. us in future editions, if we're still doing this podcast, <laughs> then... Uh, we people, will be. I hope so. Hopefully people will continue listening, and we thank you for listening. And uh, Marty, thanks, and we'll, we'll see pleasure, you down the road. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you. All right. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Listening to those calls is just awesome. Getting Marty's reaction even better. Um, so, man, I enjoyed it. Hope you did as well. If you'd like to follow along with me on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Jim Day TV. That is at Jim Day TV. TV. Once again, we hope you subscribe, review, rate this podcast, and until next time, thanks so much for listening here to the Jim Day Podcast.